I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome to series three of The Legacy Tapes. It's a series podcast exploring how to leave something lasting in the ephemeral medium of theatre. I'm Rebecca Atkinson-Lord, and today I'm talking with David Jubb, the Artistic Director at Battersea Arts Centre, where he's been in charge since 2004. Uh, hello, David. Hello. Hello. Um, so that's... Uh, Too long? Well, was, well, a really, really long tenure. Like, yeah. it's remarkably long, and I was kind of curious about... Because most people tend to bugger off after about ten years, right? Mm. And, and they're like, I'm sick of it, I'm going. Mm. And I sort of wondered, because I remember when... I started working at Oval House like I had all of these ideas about Mm. what I wanted to leave behind and then after kind of five years they were really different Mm. and I've hoped for like three times that (laughs) you must have been through a million different thoughts about what you were what this was what you were making yeah I think so I mean it is it's no doubt about it's too long and I think uh, in all honesty you know the Grand Hall burnt down Mm -hmm. which was uh, an unexpected extra (laughs) chapter yes Um, but you're right, I think uh, you do. Well, I mean, it's worth saying, I think, when I started here, I, I had so little idea of what I was doing. Um, so I think maybe I was also a bit of a slow starter. And I had terrible imposter syndrome and just thought that I was rubbish compared to the last people. I mean, I was. <laughs> I do you know, just... I remember you saying that at something I was at when I was really young right. saying something like well you know after Tom Morris everyone thought I was going to be shit so yeah yeah, yeah well it was true <laughs> no I, pressure know. yeah no pressure it's just impossible to and I th- and I also think that I spent I suppose that my a moment of breakthrough was accepting that but also recognising that I think I always thought I was going to have to be Tom Morris Mm. Or that I was going to have to be Duke Kelly, or mm-hmm. I was going to have to be Paul Blackman, you know. That, and actually, the reality is, of course, you don't. You you can't. You can never be as good as those people. You never will be. But you can be a good version of yourself. Yeah. And it did take me quite a few years to, I guess, settle into that and just. And also, the organisation. I think every time an artistic director is taken over by the Scout Centre, the, the organisation is always in crisis. Um, in in that yeah. moment. And yeah. Not not the fault of any previous artistic director. It's just always there's something going down. Mm-hmm. And when I went down, when I started, uh, there was a funding crisis with the local council going down. And I think in my first five months, I'd made four or five people redundant. That was like one of the first things I had to do. Yeah. Um, and so it took a long while, I think, to sort of, I guess, work out what I was trying to do. And also because I'm not a director, so I don't. I'm a producer as an artistic director, so mm. I don't make work. So I think also in a way that maybe takes a little bit more time to sort of start to express your creative ideas through producing. I always love what Jude said about, you know, as a director, she's sort of, the South Bank is her show and it's 24-7 mm-hmm. and, and all of those different stages and that's a kind of performance, yeah. if you like, as a, as a whole. And I like that idea and it, I think it took me a while to get my head around that. So that's my excuse. I, I mean, I don't think you need an excuse. Um, that's really interesting because I think I... I don't think I'd ever thought about it like that because I'm... I'm a director first, 
But actually, yeah, like if you know what you want to do artistically, mm. then all of the practical stuff, mm. you can be like, well, this is what we need to support this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if actually what you what you come with is what is the f- structure or the frame that I need to create to let stuff mm. grow, mm. that's a, that's a, probably a harder ask mm. to start with. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and also, I was, a, I was a teacher, you know, in terms of the, my, my approach to this role, there's lots of other things. I was quite a bad theatre director for a while, and or maybe the work was just way ahead of its time, and is still yet to be discovered. <laughs> but um, I, mainly, you know, a lot of the jobs I did were around facilitation. Mm. They were about helping other people's ideas or supporting other mm. people to develop. And I think that in that context, like you say, it, in a way it just took me longer to work out, OK, well, this is the building, this is the resource, this is what we've got. How do we do that? And I think in theatre... Particularly in the arts generally, but I suppose my most familiar territory is in theatre, the hierarchies are so profound. And I think the hierarchies in relation to making work are profound in the sense that in an organisation where there is limited resource, you know, in this building when I first arrived, there were three black box theatres, one rehearsal space, and about £25,000 a year to spend on the programme. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that context, all the shows and all get all of that resource. Yeah. Uh, and that's perfectly re- reasonable when it's a, it's you know an arts organisation in the theatre. Well, at least I thought it was at the time. I think now I look back on it and go, oh, that's actually wrong. Um, that's not right because mm-hmm. there are all sorts of people who uh, want to be creative and all sorts of people who want to get access to buildings like this. Mm. And if you're prioritising all of your main resources... I mean, we used to have a, a room here called the Main House... And you yeah. get that all over the place, don't you? Um, yeah, which is a, a massively like fucked up hierarchy. And people straight used to away. say the main program. People yeah. used to call it the main program. And, and then everything else was everything the else edge. Everything else was all at the edge and all around. Mm. And I think it just took me as also as somebody who kind of came into the organisation who sort of propped that up in a way. <laughs> you know, I was a producer here before in 2000, so I was kind of part of that hierarchy. And I think it just took me quite a while to start to actually go, no, that's wrong. Um, and I want to try and unpick it and and part of unpicking it was the building I think Mm. one of the first reasons why I I accepted a job here and got excited about being here was because of the building it was this it is this extraordinary kind of um, uh, warren of different spaces and possibilities and I think was under you know was massively underused Mm. it was sort of the dysfunctional yeah I remember being I remember looking for my graduation a place to do my Mm. my my graduation show and someone taking me aside and being like I hear mm-hmm. there are all these sellers under Battersea mm-hmm. Arts Centre go and ask them yeah. and there was and, you know there was this warren of mm. just stuff that couldn't be there wasn't a resource to use it yeah exactly um, yeah. or there was stuff in it or asbestos in it or you know it, was, it had become sort of just uh, sort of barren in a way mm. and, and but actually had so much potential um, and so, yeah, I feel like unlocking that and beginning to understand what the possibilities of that were and starting to unpick those hierarchies was, was yeah, part, part of the journey. So it's really interesting because you're talking so clearly, and it's not surprising because you're in your Phoenix season, right? So, like, you're talking so clearly about the building as your legacy, as, like, a thing that is the legacy. That's the thing that's been what you've shaped. Um, was it always... Did, were you always conscious of that, or is that a thing that's grown out of having just rebuilt your, your most of it um, it definitely wasn't conscious and, le- and the whole notion of being on this 
chat with you about legacy makes it sound like I'm just about to drop down. No, we can also interrogate the fundamental notion of whether we think legacy is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, it's an so ephemeral yeah. medium, that's yeah, why yeah. we all do it. Yeah, for sure. So I hope that there isn't a David Job legacy, and I certainly think the building is not my legacy, because actually the building project itself, in the way that we've gone about mm. it, as you know, has been this kind of very iterative, gradual thing, mm-hmm. in that... I remember when Nick Starr, who was my chair at the time, was executive director of the National Theatre and was like a pro at Capital Project, somebody who really knew what he was yeah. doing, uh, helped me start to think about the building because I, I think he recognised that I was getting more and more interested in the building and the possibilities. Mm. And even when I was a producer here, you and I walked up the stairs a moment ago and looked at that little attic room. Yeah. And I remember when I was a producer here back in '99 doing a sort of supported artist programme with people like Toby Jones and Ridiculousness and Kazuko Hoki trying to find a space in the building and, we've, mm. and that attic was unused so unlike the basements that you weren't allowed in it was the one room that you could get in yeah and we kind of i remember having an amazing uh, intern from america abigail who came here and she like painted her feet and did footmarks all the way along the <laughs> attic to this attic room and it was just like this little room and it was like a chink of light in in a way in in what was a more established model or a more yeah. established hierarchy that existed within the building and so actually like the what, secret tower yeah yeah, yeah 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 absolutely and it and it and and so and so i knew instinctively i suppose that that interest in unwrapping the building was something that was really appealing and really exciting to me, but I also didn't know how to do it. I'd never worked with an architect before, never worked you know, on a mm. project, and it was brilliant to have Nick Starr, who kind of helped. He put us together with Steve Tompkins from House Tompkins Architects, mm. which was a really great relationship. We first met in the courtyard in 2006, and I had a conversation with him. I was absolutely terrified, because I was like having a conversation with this sort of, you know, big shot architect who knew what they were talking about and I had no idea and I in the conversation with him was just was talking about what we were trying to do here but I said I really don't know what I'm doing I'm making this up as I go along mm. and he said oh I ran after my own heart and it was like a little moment of connection where mm-hmm. we thought well maybe we could improvise with the idea of changing the building a little bit like Abigail did with her footprints it wasn't a nobody thought about that it was just a moment where we thought actually let's just let's just open this space up and see what happens yeah and I think over the last 10 years you know with the bees knees the children's space downstairs the spaces that we've opened up and artist bedrooms and all of it's been a scratch all of it's Mm. been about try it and then and then see how it works and so actually so many of the none of those ideas I don't think are mine I think they're all other people's ideas I think I'm a producer and a supporter and Mm. a facilitator so so it's not. So in a way, I hope the, if there's a legacy, it's more about a process than a. Um, uh, I'm not sure I agree with the idea of legacy. Full stop. But anyway, if there if there is a legacy, it's more about the fact that people feel they can change it if they want yeah. to change it. So rather than feeling like, oh, that's the main house and that's painted black, yeah. and after your show, we will paint it back to black. Thank you very much. <laughs> that actually, those some of that has gone, mm. and actually, there's a more. Uh, you know, the building's more permissive. The systems are a bit more permissive. Yeah. Even the structures of the organisation, I think, are are a bit more permissive. And I hope that that fluidity means that people feel a bit more like. I often feel like architectural projects and building projects feel like they're done to people. It's always very telling that with an architectural project, yeah. at the end of it, everyone has to piss off and get out of the way while they take the photos. It's like the people, you know, yeah. people yeah, are yeah. in the way. Um, Steve and I went to see an amazing uh, 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 architect work called Lena Babaji in 
Sao Paulo uh, and Rio and she did various buildings as part of our research trip um, a part of our sort of research and her, her buildings like they're on stilts so that people gather beneath them it's like the buildings and people mesh and are mm-hmm. connected to each other and I just so often think that architectural design is so much about the building as an art object in itself where people are almost in the way of it rather than actually uh, the building is something which people are inhabit yeah <laughs> and so yeah that sense of not wanting to do an architectural project where it felt like it was being done to people but it was being but people were in it and making helping make the decisions as to what happened yeah that's really interesting because i think quite a lot like periodically people ask me to like to have have thoughts for some reason about buildings mm. and one of the things that i always the thought i always have is like i want the walls to be permeable mm. like mm. uh yeah this mm. sense of osmosis and like and and that's really nice that image of the stilts so that the people are mm. yeah can just drift in mm, exactly yeah um, you find yourself wandering up the yeah. stairs to the building rather than sort of and the whole rules around back of house and front of house you know who's allowed who's allowed at the back of house who's allowed yeah or just trying to break all that crap down which I just feel is it, it's all based on hi- on some sort of hierarchy and and some sort of control and I'm not suggesting that this is a some sort of uh, radical anarchic uh, utopia yeah it's not and there are hierarchies Mm. there are there is structure but it's just trying to i think so precious you think about the first moment that somebody might walk into a space that they don't feel like well they just don't know what's in it and what happens to them in that moment is in that moment do they feel very corralled or you know Mm. pushed into a certain position Mm. or role when actually perhaps if you push a door down that corridor I mean as we came up the stairs deliberately the whole building is open Mm. and we try to keep it like that so that people you know if they do push a door they might bump into someone and they might start a conversation rather than saying you stay in here until half or seven and then you go and sit in there yeah and then you can't so yeah so um, have you have you been to the SNFCC in Athens? I so this, that, let me get this right. The Stavros Niarchos Foundation Cultural Centre. Ah, yes. uh, it's one that Gabby Trandafis yeah, yeah, runs, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it's this amazing. It's like the only way I can explain it is it's like if you built the Royal Festival Hall in the National Theatre in the middle of St James's Park. Mm. And so the whole thing is kind of built into a hill. Mm. So it's this beautiful vista that is... I mean, there's, there's not a lot of green space in, in Athens and kind of people descend on it mm-hmm. and have barbecues mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. colonise. And and then the programme, one of the things that Gabby, the theatre programme there has done is she brings the programme kind of into this, because the weather's amazing, mm-hmm. into this amazing parkland. So there isn't... The art isn't really anything to do with the building necessarily it's Mm. just this magic place of stuff happening Mm. that's really exciting and it's kind of invisible Mm, mm. as 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 like as as a building Mm. because it's built into the hillside Mm. in a really really interesting way Mm. and it makes because a lot of what you've just been saying has kind of made me think about that's that sense of being in like being invisible and not being like you said mm. you don't, i don't want there to be a day for job mm. legacy mm-hmm. and one of the things i often think about you because I, we, we come across each other a lot seeing stuff or at Edinburgh mm-hmm. and you're always the person who's like in the corner just watching kind of skulking mm-hmm. in a positive positive skulking um, <laughs> and I think that's I'm a, very shy I'm like a very deeply deeply shy person so the skulk is partly just um, hiding yeah <laughs> I mean fair enough 
God, in Edinburgh, I quite often feel like hiding yeah, in any yeah. hole well, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, and theatre bars are the most terrific places in the world. Often, yeah. So you know, yeah. But there's, but I think there's something really precious about people, people that about the thing mm. being the thing that helps something get made yeah. without making itself present in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that isn't that isn't how we're told mm. people who run organisations are supposed to be, right? You're supposed to have a vision. Mm. That's the first thing they ask you on the bloody form, mm. every fucking mm. form. Mm. Um, and I'm just really curious what, like, how, you know, that, that sense of being invisible or mm. being under the radar, mm. is that something that you always came with, apart from being shy? Like, like uh, shyness as an artistic process? Hmm. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think my artistic vision is summed up in the words of Bananarama, which is, it's not what you do, it's the way you do it, <laughs> I think. And that's in a way why I struggle to then have a formal vision that defines a thing. Mm. Um, or, a, you know, I would, it's, it's, it's looking back at the start of my time here, there is absolutely no way... I could possibly have had a vision to do what we've done. Um, maybe somebody could, but I couldn't have done that. I mean, was it you with a Molotov cocktail? <laughs> no, I wasn't in. The, I was in London. <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, it, it's. It would have been impossible to do that because because I, re, I as a producer facilitator, I'm always supporting other people's ideas rather than mine. So I'm not mm. saying I don't have ideas, and sometimes I'll throw things into the mix. But it's absolutely about the. What inspires me, what gets me excited, what makes me cry is when people are inspiring and they have an idea and you can see the light in their eye and you can mm. see the fire in their belly and you think, let's make that happen, that yeah. would be great and that would make them happy and they, you know, their happiness and I, I you know, I, it's like the old bloody thing, isn't it, about giving Christmas presents, getting presents is generally pretty miserable yeah. giving presents is the most glorious yeah. bloody thing in the world yeah. so when you get it right and you've thought about it and you've you know I'm, sometimes you can give crap presents but uh, but you know when you've really thought about it and you've yeah. nailed it and you know it's special to someone you, it's got that moment it's just it's just beyond anything and for me that that's what connects to the notion of artistic vision is just yeah it's facilitating and supporting and, and enabling other people's ideas and that's why for me the notion of process is so important. I think in so many things we focus on, you know, product, even within our education system, which is a bit, you know, blindingly obvious thing to say, but, you know, the, the outcome and the exam and the, the result and, the, um, and even the knowledge is prioritised over the pedagogy, over the way mm. that the knowledge was gained, over the way that you found it out, over yeah. the way you... And fundamentally that is not necessarily creating... It's entirely not useful. It's entirely not fucking useful <laughs> because it's creating, you know, creates yeah. a super elite who yeah. are able to read a book, digest it, and communicate it yeah. very quickly. And for the rest of us who struggle with that, and I've always struggled with uh, um, kind of reading something and being able to sort of then quickly absorb it, who learn through doing, because we all learn when we're toddlers, we, mm. you know, you don't read a book and then. They go, I can read now. No. You, you know, you learn through failure. You learn yeah. through all scratch. Yeah, my thing is, like, you stick the thing in your mouth, and if it makes you sick, yeah. you don't do it again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You fall over, or you, and you're constantly looking for feedback, because you're constantly looking at your siblings, or your parents, or your peers, or whoever, mm. and you're looking for how they, my two-year-old at the moment, just, you know, she's constantly checking in with me or Allegra, and she's always looking to see what we think, what 
how we perceive what she's doing and she's just processing and learning that shit. And yet our entire world, through from the way architecture projects are done to the, our school curriculum, to the way that our businesses are structured, is all structured in a completely different way, which is that it assumes that we learn through instruction and knowledge mm. uh, rather than learning through experience. And also that there is a right thing mm, or a right answer. Absolutely, exactly, yeah. That like, there is a, yeah. And that's a massive hierarchy in itself because it's the answers are in the back of the book. And don't look, because that would be cheating, as Ken Robinson says on his amazing, you know, Do Schools Kill Creativity video. It's just, yeah, whereas actually, I passionately believe, you know, whether you're somebody who's coming to a cultural organisation or you're, or you're going to school, the thing that is exciting is the opportunity to think about the way that you're going to do something and I, I just passionately believe that that defines ultimately who you much more about who you are than mm. just the, the, the knowledge you have yeah especially because I mean I remember it's like I, I, I was at a really you know my school really valued kind of a really valued achievement mm. and the thing the, the thing at prize giving the book mm-hmm. token or whatever um, and I remember like it was really tough when I entered the actual world, I was like, no one gives a shit that I came second in, like, mm. geography. Mm. That's not a useful mm. life skill. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's much more useful to know how to fail mm. and mm. and be resilient in mm. that. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, we... we um, one of the other things we nicked from Brazil, I think a lot of my ideas have been... Uh, that we've done here or have been nicked from Brazil. One of them is a thing called the Agency, which is this mm-hmm. programme which is about... Uh, Faustini um, grew up in a favela in Rio and is a theatre director and recognised that when the favelas were being pacified that um, mobile phones uh, stores were popping up on street corners and young people were being given jobs selling mobile phones. Um, and part of that's kind of, one might say, is positive because the favelas are... Uh, safer zones and therefore young people are being given jobs in another way it's really depressing because young people have been given jobs in the kind of bottom rung of a ladder of a very existing paradigm and so mm. his thought was well how if we're going to reshape favelas then how do the members how do the youngest members of our community then help to reshape them so he took his theatre directing process which involves failure and metaphor and creativity and scratch and all, you know all of those sorts of things that artists so brilliantly use and he helped young people set up their own businesses and social enterprises. Mm. Um, and we, with which contact, you do, here. yeah, we and contact in Manchester, and it's growing now in Belfast and Cardiff and other places too, because it's basically a creative process through which those young people, um, for us living around Winstanley Estate behind Clapham Junction, set up and run their own business. And every time I meet the group every year. Uh, as kind of the artistic director and it's a horrible moment in fact actually we've stopped doing it now because we've just realised it's one of those desperately old fashioned hierarchical moments where you know the group comes in and meets the artistic director <laughs> and I just always come out of that meeting and go it's not going to work it's absolutely not going to work because this group is just there's just such a um, low level of engagement a low level of conversation mm. a, a kind of real uh, but it's the structure that creates that but this, yeah but then 12 weeks later they've gone through this process and they are positive and they are uh, incredibly engaged with their own idea to the, to the level of obsession but what's really interesting I think about the agencies when you look back at the 28 projects that have happened so far in Manchester and Battersea 24 of them are still going and this is over like 5 or 6 year period Wow. the start 
businesses that's are remarkable it's, it's nuts it's just like and yeah. i don't think that's because i don't think that's anything other than because it's a creative process and through creativity you do build an inner resilience because mm. a creative process has to be a resilient one because yeah. you know you know grace and perry has creativity our mistakes or whatever he's been because he mm. knows that when he loves a pot in the bin yeah that that's where the learning is and that's where the creativity is and so there's some the reason why those projects are still going is because those young people know that it's it's never going to end they mm. have to you know it's not going to be this thing where you suddenly get to a perfect point of a product and it's made and it's finished da-da, and everyone's going to pat you on the back and also it's about the quest yeah completely i totally agree and that's addictive in itself yeah. because the quest becomes meeting people the quest becomes mm. growing an idea the quest becomes and actually it's it's quite linked to sort of you know ideas around entrepreneurialism and people being entrepreneur, entrepreneurial like that sort of creative sense and yet as I say our our companies and our I mean some companies are but on the whole you know lots of our arts organisations are still structured as if they're 19th century manufacturing industry yeah (laughs) fixed departments uh, yeah you know i mean not like manufacturing industries these days which are much more fluid but actually ones that were making cars in 1900 or yeah like the like you know i'm i'm from a mill a a family of people who worked in cotton mills and and it's yeah it very much feels like that I, i like as an artist when i go into those big those big like regional that's not fair. There could be monoliths when they're in the regions or yeah, not. Yeah, but there's plenty of them in London. Yeah, right? I know. There's big monoliths. And I always, like, there's a bit of me that does feel like I'm going to the, fa- you know, to mm. the factory and mm. and they care um, about me about as much as if I was about to have my arm ripped off by a loom, mm. you know. Mm. Like, the, the, the well-being, like, the sense of well-being and responsibility and, uh, sh- yeah, shared ownership of the world. Yeah. Well, I think there's something about what happens when you create departments, silos, you, you also create tribes in that moment. Mm. You create barriers. And so you actually, you know, you, you encourage people to think territorially. And I'm not saying that departmental models don't work because they're amazing, brilliant people who run those systems. But just in general, when you create those sorts of structures, one of the things I noticed here quite quickly is we used to have a senior senior management team, seven departments, production... Uh, mm-hmm. Producing, marketing, fundraising, finance, and so on. That actually, they were like little companies, and they yeah. behaved. They were encouraged. We, Battersea Arts Centre, encouraged them to behave in this slightly tribal way, where yeah. they would protect their own resources. Even the way that we put our plan together for the year, you wouldn't put your necessarily your plan together. You would have a vision, and you'd have you know artists and shows. But the, if you look under the cover of the business plan of a lot of those organisations, it's based around the. F- functions of the organization and you just think why are we not focused more on what the goal is of what we're actually trying to do yeah. you know why aren't our plans actually focused on what we're trying to achieve all these functions that we all have we're all administrators mm. of one kind or another that we're here to facilitate and support so it's for me it's just been a uh, that's been part of the journey as well of unlocking this organization mm. over time has been trying to find another fluid way we work with this brilliant woman when David Mickham and I worked together as joint artistic directors we worked with Sarah Priest who's now at Mountview and she had this idea of project working because she'd worked in there she'd gone off on a claw placement mm. into the commercial sector worked in mother advertising and Unilever and she basically had this inspirational idea and scratched it in the organisation and we set up project working which now we still have our teams but they don't run the ship yeah. you know there's 20-25 projects in the organisation at any one time 
those projects have a shaper and a project manager and a team of two or 20, depending on the size of the project. So it's more like a matrix that everybody sort of moves around. Mm -hmm. it's, more, it's more creative. It's more actually how, uh, I think, um, when you look about you know, how artists work, it's a much more sort of uh, fluid and flexible way. But it still has structure. There's still clarity mm. and accountability, but it just enables... And it means you have to... You know, it means you have to solve problems. Mm. Like, mm. I have worked in the odd fucked up organisation with weird silo-fied departments. I have done that uh, in all sorts of sectors. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, the, th the thing stops working at the point at which you don't have to address the fact that you just bloody hate that guy. <laughs> you know? And actually, if you have to work yeah. with that guy yeah, that you yeah. bloody hate on three projects out of 12 mm. in a year, you sort it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's something about giving people the responsibility to do that. Yeah, and giving people the opportunity to have multiple identities. Mm. Because uh, the, the job in the line of management in the department, it's very hard to have other, other anything other than that one personality. Mm -hmm. I think that's not fair on anyone. We all deserve to have multiple yeah. personalities. And we also all deserve to have multiple identities so that we can behave differently at different times. So that's the other thing that it enables it just enables people to bring out different sides of themselves at different times and learn new skills as well. Like, you know, we have people now in the, in the team who you know, they might start with their marketing, but then they'll do some fundraising or then they'll look at thinking about mm. things and producing. And so it just encourages yeah. that sort of bit more of a fluid approach. And also, like, in, you know, in the making of art, like, no one ever just does their job. Mm. That, I mean, the idea that there is just a job. Like that's when, I, when I was working in the States, I, someone got told off for, um, for sorting something out on the stage mm. because it's the, you know, they weren't unionised. And, mm. and I was like, I mean, please, can they just let them sort it out? It just needs sorting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, I mean, I, the stuff that we've done with the organisation here comes from artists because it comes from you know, devised practice. We do generally devised ensemble-based practice here, which again has less of a hierarchy than a more conventional approach where somebody writes a script and then a director mm. is commissioned to, you know, and then they build a team and then there are more structures and I'm not knocking that. It's just... Because I, mean, yeah, I do that sometimes. Yeah, so I'm yeah, really not no, allowed to I'm not that. knocking it. It's not my kind of theatre personally, but because I prefer what I like about um, the more kind of generally the more open device processes I do think it, it leaves a, I think just on statistical evidence you would say it leaves a more open relationship mm. with the audience often there is a more open and playful relationship with the audience the audience recognises that it's there you know that there isn't a fourth wall that you, that you have a, you have some agent some element of agency as an audience member in, in I think in more of that work than you do in work that is made through a more conventional process that's what I would argue yeah so if I, so, I'm just going to rephrase the questions to one that you're a bit more comfortable with because mm. we we hate legacy, we hate the idea of that. Um, but uh, and I, yeah, I str that's part part of what these were about yeah, is sure. me is no, me wondering about that. that um, if w w like what because I think I make I make theatre. I do this because I want to leave the world changed. Mm. Mm. Um, I hope that that's for the better. Every now and then I have psychotic moments, and maybe it's really not. Um, but theoretically, it's for it's for it's towards whatever the good is. Um, I was just curious, like what in, in without having without centering your ego, um, which I know you're not comfortable with. What what do you want to leave changed? Um, I think. 
the opportunity for people to yeah because for me it's not really about the the program or the building or the activity uh, in terms of this organization it's about the opportunity for people to keep feeling like they can change because in terms of your point I love your thought around the good you know the idea of the good what is the good because clearly one person's good is another person's nightmare mm-hmm. and for me that again that's not that's not really the point is to try and kind of find a in a way even to try and find a shared good is to just try and find a shared process by which people can find their own good or their own community's good or their own family's good or their own relationship's good or their own parent sibling you know parent child relationship so for me I think it's about that sounds all very waffly doesn't it but if it, for me it's about how yeah it goes back to Banana Rama it feels like if we could just all remember Banana Rama a bit more <laughs> every day and think that it, it, it is about the way we do things it is about the way that we have our relationships it is about the way we conduct ourselves the mm. way we say something the way we create something the way we make something I think if we all thought more about the way we did things and we uh, then I think we would quite quickly get into situations where we lived more creatively and more openly and in and in more and in in a, in a kind of richer way because I think we would be thinking about another person because if as mm. soon as you think about the way you do something you have to think about the other person yeah. whereas the moment you're just thinking about getting the geography certificate yeah. or you're thinking about getting the, getting the best show or getting the go then actually mm. sometimes other people do get in the way yeah they get in your way whereas actually when you're thinking about the way you're going to do something then actually people are important then because they're they're the people that you're going to make something with you're going to do something with so i just think the world maybe it sounds like i flew no bullshit but i just think the way the world might just be a bit gentler and kinder if we did think more about the way we did stuff mm. because we would constantly be having to think about each other rather than the sort of you know, the human achievement. It's interesting thinking, I was talking to some doctor in the NHS the other day about how within the NHS there's a sort of, you know, fear of exposing failure and, and that that culture can actually lead yeah. to a very negative sense of people, you know, the, the, the paper in The Lancet or whatever is the thing that you have got to get. Yeah. And, the, you know, because money follows, you know, reputation yeah. follows, all of that yeah. follows. But, of course, what that, it's interesting, just talking to this, the doctor was saying that actually that means that there's all sorts of bad research that's been created and published which hasn't always been challenged or indeed even within departments uh, he was saying that uh, you know because there is a culture within the department of these sort of the, of the kind of consultant surgeon or whatever mm. having this sort of absolute sort of control hierarchy yeah. and everybody else yeah. feeding into that that they that there that there's a lack of question there's a lack of doubt there's a lack of so, uh, and I'm sure this is not true in all NHS departments. But there's no space to question that the yeah. dictator. Yeah, essentially. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the hierarchy and the achievement mm. and the idea of getting in the Lancet. And so I feel like, and, and this is beginning to become part of our political discourse, isn't it? In terms of recognising that within the health service, for example, there has to be a, a greatest vulnerability. There has to be, you know, and, and mm. you look at the terrible things that have happened sometimes in the NHS. Actually, you look frankly at some of the terrible things that have happened in the arts and the creative industries. Yeah. And you look at the hierarchies that it exist always comes from moments. not being able to own up. Yeah. Yeah. And not not being able to articulate or not having a voice or not mm. being able to express. I'm generalising, obviously, massively, but yeah, not being able to kind of fully 
articulate something that is happening. And, and again, I just think if there was more conversation about the way we did something, I mean, we're learning this constantly in organisation, particularly as we work more and more um, in different areas and different projects, just thinking about how do we get constantly get better about the way we think about how we do something and the structures and the support that people need mm. to think about that and the thing and you know when when material or show triggers things for people how do you then support people in that moment too so you know you're not just always thinking about the kind of product and the thing you're trying to make and you're trying to get five stars or an award or mm. whatever all of that all of that side of things how can you actually yeah support people to think about the thing that they're doing now and, and what that means and so it's about now. the quest yeah. like it's the journey not yeah, the yeah, yeah. not the fleece or whatever yeah 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 which which yeah. actually is the fleece yeah <laughs> you, know, the, you know that's the reward mm. it's, it goes back to the thing we were saying earlier about people you know giving presents it, it, that actually is the thing mm. that is yeah that i mean that's super that's i'm finding that interesting i'm thinking so many things um because i've been i've been really struggling like this last probably a year uh because I feel like I spend a lot of time with people saying, what's the solution to? Why, how can the arts be more diverse? How can it be more... Uh, how can it be kinder? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's just felt so um, impossible mm-hmm. because, you know, the world's a mess. <laughs> like, it's a complete mess. Um, or it feels like it. And the structures are wrong and the goals are wrong and there isn't space for it to be something else or it feels like it and so I found myself talking to someone the other day who was who was genuinely asking me for my thoughts on how they could mm. put in place a program or a structure within a, an umbrella organization for musical theatre that would mean that people from working class backgrounds could do musical theatre in a way that they can't mm. at the moment mm. um and my answer was, well, actually, I think there should be an environmental cataclysm that kills two-thirds of humanity. And then we rebuild all the structures from scratch. <laughs> and and, and I, I was like, that, <laughs> maybe killing off two-thirds of the world yeah. isn't actually yeah. a solution, Rebecca. <laughs> so I was probably being too too goal-oriented, right? Maybe I should think of another way. Yeah, that's a really good definition of people getting in the way yeah <laughs> but it but because because i you know i i have this really bad habit of thinking about the massive macro level mm-hmm. and so when so you know when someone says to me how can i you know how can i stop people dropping litter on mm. brixton high street mm. i'm like well kill two-thirds of humanity <laughs> because because in my head i'm going through you know the, the capitalist structure and the, the value that people place on themselves and their environment and all of that's about money and blah 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 blah, yeah. blah. um it's going to be a very disturbing final episode of the legacy tapes where, <laughs> <laughs> where i kill everybody <laughs> yeah i'm not actually going to do that um and it's and it's really kind of you know it's so objectivist and horrible mm-hmm. to think like that um <laughs> So, so yeah, that's that sense of like may, maybe the getting everything right isn't the right thing. It's the attempt with kindness mm, mm, and generosity. Mm. Um, and I do know that, but it's really hard it to remember really hard. it. It's really hard because the whole system's against us, isn't it? In terms of if you, yes, which that, is why we need to kill two yeah. thirds of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I think you then become the system. Uh, mm. I think and there's that Margaret Mead quote about only it was only. 
there's only a small I can never remember exactly what she said she did it very beautifully but the us to change the world or something a small group of people came together and thought carefully or something and, and, and made change happen in it mm. nevertheless and and that's I suppose the maybe that's the sort of slightly redeeming sort instead of a murderous rampage is just thinking about it is incredible now actually how change can happen so quickly I think mm. and it's really exciting I think to think of I mean people always use the example of sort of uh, Smoking and how quickly that changed, yeah. you know, in just in just in just really just a moment. And for me, I just think, yeah, yeah, just thinking about even though the things that happen in this building, this organisation, yeah, don't don't stop people dropping litter in, on Brixton High Street or indeed necessarily anywhere else. I just think that the moments of transformation. I just think it's interesting when you think about the way people responded to the Grand Hall actually mm. it burnt down, and that's sort of very. I've constantly questioned myself about why that reaction because there was a massive yeah yeah swell. Why, why why was that so strong why was that such a such a powerful thing and indeed actually when other buildings like this have gone down or unfortunately the Grand Hall obviously was still it's kind of it, it, it heroically managed to somehow still stand up and keep its walls there which we've been able to build around but what is that response and I just I keep coming back to the fact that hundreds and thousands of people have got married in this building mm. hundreds of thousands of people have had moments in the theatre in this building which have kind of made them go oh my god that's shit or oh my god yeah. that's incredible or oh I'm thinking something new or hundreds of thousands of people have you know, come to uh, workshops in this building where they've had yeah. moments of transformation. I just isn't surely that's it. Surely yeah. it's that hundreds and thousands of people have left changed. Yeah, exactly, and may change, and mm. and surely that means that the bricks and mortar stand then for something more than the bricks and mortar. They stand mm-hmm. for those moments of transformation. They stand for those moments of change. I always think it's really it's quite spooky how many people in in buildings like this. I mean, I'm obviously most familiar with this building, but I think in buildings like this have kind of had moments of extraordinary collision in life which have often led to marriage or have often led to mm. long-term partnerships. Extraordinarily, on the night of the fire, I only found this out uh, last week, uh, somebody wrote to me saying that they had met their partner here when they were working here in the studio, in a basement studio, when Grayson Perry had a basement studio, mm. and they knew Grayson and they got together with their partner and they'd since, I think, uh, separated, but their partner had then died. And they were, um, there was a whole network of them, about 10 friends who used to sort of hang out here. Yeah. And they all stood noting. And they were all driving here on the night of the fire just to have a moment all together, yeah. just a sort of reunion. And that happens lots here. You have these moments where um, people gather. And of course, then they were all texting each other, uh, like on their way here, saying, it's on, it's on fire. What are we going to do? <laughs> Unless we all went down to the South Bank Centre and met down there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but now they're going to hopefully uh, come back. But I just it's really interesting to think about the number of sort of lifelong change or partnerships mm. that have been that have happened in this building. And I just think that's so. Yeah, I suppose I'm slightly rambling, but going back to your point about sort of macro to micro, it's it's just worth thinking about. I suppose how those micro moments of change just do do lead. Yeah, to, and they add up. And yeah. like. As I like, I'm bored of myself saying it, but society is woven from the stories that we tell about it. Yeah. So you just have to keep telling yeah. the stories yeah. in increments, and yeah, it will be yeah. different. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important that 
places like this do break down their hierarchies and we've still got lots of them, we've still got lots of work to do to break down those hierarchies but because the trouble is, is who's stories mm. you know, the whole western canon of yeah. art is made up of stories by men who are white and middle class and or, you know, or whatever the equivalent and it's so all those stories, I heard Drew Kelly say this the other day, are just reaffirming you know the same mm. stories all the time yeah. so we have got to tell different stories and that doesn't always mean I think necessarily you know trying to because I think it's uh, it doesn't necessarily always mean trying to kind of encourage people to make shows <laughs> you should come and make a show about your story in this building it's about recognising that everybody is creative in a different way mm. and I think the journey to becoming an artist is anyway is a lifelong journey but even to becoming a professional artist is often a long one and, th- and there's lots of things that you can do along the way as you make that journey that's why the agency so again it's so important to us as a as an idea for the for the program here is because it's about bringing young people who never walked into this building Mm. or never saw it as a place that was theirs or for them and 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 now who hang out in here in the office with all of my team and who have memberships in the scratch hub at the back of the building and who create and make things here and who you know vendors mechanics has a bicycle workshop outside the front of the building on a regular basis and all of those sorts of businesses and projects that are happening they are ways into expressing your own identity and expressing what it is you which want is to another make, kind of story which is another kind of story and mm. so then it's about and then it's about those people then being able to become more stronger and more confident and frankly more visible so that then their stories become ever more told and i think that's the job of culture anywhere and again from brazil it's why you know, Brazil in this country, as I've said several times before, but you know, people think of culture as something you do at seven to eight in the evening with a glass of wine in your hand, and that's a fucked up interpretation of what culture is. Yeah. Actually, culture is your family, it's your street, it's everything. It's, your everything. it's yeah. the way that your stories are told. And Brazil has so much more of a, I think, anyway, I don't want to kind of, you know, romanticize about uh, a foreign country and be down on this country, but, but I do think the hierarchy of this country is so buggered up in terms of some of that stuff. Mm. There's so much we have to smash down and, and you can see why things like Brexit have absolutely happened and uh, it makes you know it's, it's a completely rational logical path as to why that's happened yes of course um, <laughs> and I think if our culture wasn't so um, uh, wasn't so fucked up then I then I then I don't you know I think that, that those voices would be heard and, uh, yeah and because think, it because it was like the not hearing yeah of all of so many people yeah, for so long. Yeah. Um, and that's just not that's not just about politics. That's about no, our it's everything. Places, it's about yeah. our education spaces. It's about our elite universities. It's about yeah. So, and that's why it's so important that we change. We change in this in the context of this organisation. We change what we do. You know, we're going back to right to the beginning of this conversation. Three mm. black box spaces. Yeah. And three theatres, which can have the main program as part mm-hmm. of them and everyone goes to see it and goes okay, that's the main program that ideology that orthodoxy yeah. that set of values that set of yeah. beliefs that program that's, that's the, the one that's valued that's what i need to strive to become yeah. and if you just don't see yourself there then why would you strive to because it's just not and then you know well you're you just mu- gonna like mess yourself up yeah. trying yeah yeah and if you multiply that hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of times of venues across the country yeah you've got a problem and that's why it's so important to then re calibrate that whole structure so that actually people are using these buildings as you said to tell different kinds of stories and then that will take time but over five years 10 years 15 years that's a revolution it's just a slow one
Yeah, but you've been here for that. It's been a slow one. <laughs> it's been a slow one in this organisation, it has. And I think it's still, you know, long, still going. long beyond uh, when I've left here. I hope it's, a, 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 you know, it's still going. And um, so we're, we're sort of, I should stop talking to you shortly. Um, I'm going to ask you two questions. Mm. One is, can you tell me about a thing? Maybe it was a piece of art, but maybe it wasn't. Mm. A thing that has changed you has marked you somehow mm. yes <laughs> my bike uh, when it broke <laughs> came into my mind uh, as I cycled down uh, Pall Mall to get to Battersea one day um, I think the thing that also sprang to mind which uh, is that I, I there's a there's a young man called Sessie Henry who uh, lives on my Stanley estate and uh, was connected to this organisation when he was sort of 13, 14 and he came to um, be in some of our kind of part of our early beatbox academy when we ran that and um, and, he, and I said to him one day Seshi, Seshi, Seshi you've got to come and see this artist you've got to come and see the show it's really great um, it's in the council chamber I'll get you in for free um, tell me what you think of it mm-hmm. and I remember going in uh, at, the, at the balcony on the gallery in the council chamber and I remember watching um, I'm all, when I watch shows I usually watch the audiences obviously if I've seen yeah. the show if I yeah me too yeah. When, when it's your job yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly so I just watched Seshi and it wasn't a long watch because he was asleep in five minutes <laughs> um, and this was one of my favourite artists I'm not yeah. sure who it was but it's just like you know artist who I think is absolutely sort of exceptional and sensational Mm. and it was a moment that marked me simply because it was just a really bloody obvious slap in the face of what I liked wasn't necessarily what he he was going to like and these buildings are designed on a model of artistic direction which is that I choose and you join Mm. you know come and join in even if it's like you know, certainly on the basis of shows, I'll put on the shows. The, I'm, I'm the taste maker, you, and you come and see my taste. And, and I, I'm not criticising that as a fundamental, you know, act. But I am. But when you do the macro thing, yeah. and you look at what that means more widely, that's a, there's a big problem. But equally, it's the model that follows in terms of participation, mm. in that we constantly invite young people to participate or anybody at any stage of life to participate in our organisations and we say to them you know we're a theatre come and act we're an orchestra come and play we're Mm -hmm. a gallery come and paint and actually also come and paint alongside this exhibition of this artist that I've put on at the moment or come and act with this artist who I've put on at the moment and we then wonder why come and replicate our fucked up colonialist hierarchy yes exactly come and enjoy our self-perpetuating cycle more and more white middle class people running organisations and setting the taste and setting the culture and setting the so the moment for me with Seshi was important because it made me recognise that that you know the, the ego of mine to think that immediately that Seshi was going to have this moment in the theatre where mm. he was going to be, you know, he was going to just fall in love with this artist. It just, I mean, it sucks. It really sucks. And so when it, it comes back to the agency again, but then when the agency started, we, we did, in, we you know, invited Seshi to take part in it. And he quite quickly had an idea that he wanted to set up this thing called Iron Next, which was a uh, positive music platform for artists and he hosted an event in the lower hall which is now the Scratch Hub um, 
this was back in about 20, 2014, and he invited an artist called Stormzy to come and mm-hmm. perform, and this was before... Oh, I think I've heard of him. Well, yeah, I, 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 but that's the thing, yeah. we've heard of him now. No. I hadn't heard of him then, I didn't know mm. he was, I didn't, and, I, and also, I'm telling you this story, I, I, I don't remember Stormzy being here at all. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Just, uh, three or four years later, yeah. somebody said, you know who's in the lower hall? I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and so... Seshi is now, you know, with I Am Next, he's doing a night as part of the Phoenix season in February and uh, pulls in artists from all over the world. He's taken I Am Next to Amsterdam. He's, he's developing I Am Next as a, all sorts of sort of um, sort of digital things he's doing. And, he, and he's amazing and he's incredible. And it, and, it, and, it, and it inspires me to look at him and to look at the fire in his belly and the passion when he talks about it. And there was me trying to get him to watch that show and I just think it is it is interesting when you think about how cultural organisations can it, it goes back to process because we have this extraordinary opportunity which is that we are saying as cultural spaces we're, we're good at creative process mm. we're good at you know we should, if we're not good at creativity we really should pack up and, uh, and shut up shop but we're good at creative process so why aren't we saying to people Come and be creative. Use this process that we've that mm. we can share. And obviously, you've got your own creativity. Everybody has creativity on tap. You can tap come into and be yours. You. Come and be you. Come and express your. Identity. And you know how to do that in a yeah. way we don't. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and the thing that we can provide is, and I think this is where Scratch is such an important thing. That recognition that we shifted from using Scratch just in theatre spaces to be able mm. to use Scratch for architecture, to be able mm. to use Scratch to help young people develop their businesses, is that that is a process by which which enables anybody who has an idea to test it to hear what other people say and it it has its own critical system and structure within it which enables people to develop something because there's all this bullshit talks about excellence in the arts and you know high quality and who's excellence and who's high quality who is the arbiter yeah exactly well actually when you develop something through scratch it's the community with which you develop that idea and and community you know everybody is savvy everyone can say mm. what they th- when they think something is good or not good or how you might develop it or yeah. how you might shape it so Seshi developed I am next through that scratch process through you know and he learned a lot and he got lots of feedback and also as well as you know a community response he part of that community is the police and he has to think about his events in terms of the police and how they work and he's developed relationships with local police forces and it's just really inspiring just to watch him you know his whole world come alive through his through the articulation and the development of his vision, through testing it, through trying mm. it, through doing it, not through reading it in a book, not through being sat down in a theatre, sat down in a theatre by me and say, "Watch this, you'll yeah. like this," and this not is... by trying to do someone else's version yeah, of it. Exactly, yeah, exactly, by doing his version, and mm. it go, that goes right back to process because it goes back to people being empowered to be the best that they could be. Yeah, that, so it does. It comes back to process. Yeah, that's interesting. I, when I was was first trying to be a director I used to really struggle because everyone was telling me I should be assistant directing Mm. and and I was like but and everyone that I assistant directed for it was them Mm. I could never Mm. be like that Mm -hmm. and probably wouldn't want to be Mm -hmm. a lot of them and I really struggled until in the end I was like well like this shit mm. <laughs> like if I can't you yeah. know if I, if I can't find my voice yeah. myself yeah. then I should shut up yeah. that was my uh, I'm meaner to myself than I'm to other people um, on, and move into your own thing mm. move into your own yeah whatever that is yeah 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 and find the people who want to be there too yeah um, so last one uh, which is 
uh, and I ask everyone, and you're not in any way dying because this is a legacy conversation. But in be. in like, I mean, you might be. God, I'm so sorry if I just put my foot in it. That'd be awful. Oh, um, and in like six I, months, I, I it's announced. Be, I yeah, let's hope not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in many many years, mm. right? When you have gone from this place, um, and there is a there is an old. There is a grizzled old person who was once part of the agency. Mm. And someone says, who was who David Jubb? Or what, what was that? What would you like them to say? Oh, God, I have absolutely no idea. Um, um, that he helped. That he was a... That he was a yeah, there was something about there's just something about assisting and serving and supporting that mm. I believe quite passion, quite passionately in just the notion of being somebody. It's so funny, isn't it? There's that brilliant song I remember in um, uh, what's it called? It's that album? Bugger, I can't remember it. Was it by Banana Jamie Rama? Cato. Okay. Do you know Jamie Cato? <laughs> no. He was like. <laughs> Basically, they did this album, they went around the world and they did lots of interviews, and they mm. interviewed lots of kind of like sort of wise old um, geezers. And somebody said something about, you know, when at the end of your life nobody ever says, I wished I had. Uh, this is sounding like fucking gloomy legacy. Do it, now, do it, it, go on. That, that nobody ever said, um, you know, I wished I'd made that extra deal, I wish I'd made that extra. Mm. Project. I yeah. wish I'd made that extra. But everybody says, "I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I mm. wish I'd spent more time with friends. I wish mm-hmm. I'd made more of those connections." And so, I suppose my answer to your question is, when you when people look back and they're having that moment, I would just hope that they would that they would remember that I was one of the people that helped and didn't get in the way. Because there's a lot of us that get in the way, and I get in the way. So I'm very conscious as sometimes I cock up during a day and I think, "Shit, I've, I've got that wrong. I've just actually been." I've just been unhelpful. I've just not. I've just not helped that. But that's okay. You recognise it. So yeah, you can yeah. go back and. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose, yeah. But that's what I would just hope is that somebody went. Oh, yeah, they were. That was, it was really helpful. That was quite helpful. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Good. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, I feel like I should say for the record that I do not want to personally murder two thirds <laughs> of humanity. Uh, I was just suggesting that if there was an environmental disaster, it might be good for the green agenda. Um, Anyway, thank you so much, David. Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm